good to me and he's worthy of my praise. I don't know if y'all came ready for tonight for this morning. Jesus. I want to introduce you to somebody who uh, <laughs>
I will say I had no idea what to expect. I have uh, talked to Austin and Sandra over the last, uh, less than a year and prayed for them and heard their heart. When God called them to come out of here, I was sending my kids to another state where I couldn't be there with them. I couldn't depend on my cooking, call them over for dinner and pray with them physically. I couldn't uh, hold their hands as they go through struggles and I was scared to death. And uh, I, don't, I don't know the ins and outs of you guys, but when I come in here this morning, when Jesus showed up, God wants to do something. He wants some people that will be willing to step out on faith and follow him and say, I'm going to tell the line, here I am, send me. And if we'll do that, God will work something like we have never seen. Now, I'm speaking to a group in South Carolina, and I, I hope the same prayer, pray the same prayer, and preach these same messages to, to our people back in uh, North Georgia. But God wants to do something. I, I wanted you guys to know that y'all don't need my approval for anything. Uh, and I'm not saying it anyway like that, but I was extremely blessed to come in here to, to worship. And uh, I think I found my spirit animal. I don't know who, who this is, but there's a Stanley coffee mug over here. Praise God. <laughs> this guy. I love coffee. <laughs> coffee is awesome. So uh, <laughs> let's crack it up. And then you guys come up and leave worship and just have a big old stand with you. It's like y'all can stay all day and do work. <laughs> uh, I will, uh, I'll try to get going. And uh, I didn't know really what to do. And I'll be honest, I spent, uh, I'm full-time and blessed. God allowed me uh, October of 2019 to go full-time at our church as associate pastor, and uh, it's been the, the greatest single voice and shot of my salvation and the marriage to my wife, God has ever given me, uh, to be able to go full-time and to uh, spend my days in the office and being mentored by those that I look up to and those that uh, pour the scriptures into me and, and whatnot there at church, but uh, uh, I, I went in Monday morning with the intention, i got to preach Sunday. Lord, let's... Let's figure this out. Well, the Lord just said, shut up and read. So I shut up and read. <laughs> Did none of my studies and, and went through. And Tuesday morning, ah, oh, Lord, today's the day. We're going to figure out what we're going to do. Austin said, if you can't give me your outline by Thursday. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, uh, it's really devoted to uh, the youth. Um, since y'all took our youth pastor, I'm filling in. <laughs> So I, I do, do a lot with the youth there on Wednesdays and uh, other stuff we have in association meetings and stuff. So Wednesday's pretty much a wash. Uh, Thursday comes and uh, a group of us pastors, they had pastors there at the Capitol down in Atlanta. We went down to Atlanta. We left at 5 o'clock in the morning, went down and spent the whole day. Got home late, had things to do, you know. So 
Thursdays and watch Friday. I'm like, oh, it has to be time for you to sit. So while I'm saying all this is last night, I finished my notes up, well, this morning at 1230 uh, in the hotel room. <laughs> Uh, so I've had this whole idea on my mind of what I want to do, but what it kept doing is it kept coming back to my point. And I'm not some, I'm saying this because I don't want you to think anything is about my point. Because the only good in me is Him. Amen. The only good thing that is in Michael way is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God that He placed inside of me to make a difference in my life so I could go out and make a difference somewhere else with somebody else. So, in anything I say, this is a disclaimer, Michael Gasway does not think highly of himself. I am with Paul when he says, of whom I am chief, speaking of sin, I know where Michael's been, I know what I've done, I know the filth that I am, I know uh, the life that I've lived, I know how I don't deserve mercy and grace, but he gives it freely. So I accept it and I praise him for it, and I want everybody else to have that. So hear me loud that I am not bragging on myself or anything that I've done before we ever get started. Can we all agree with that? Amen. And understand that? Don't hate somebody that thinks they're God's gift to the world. I don't hate them. I mean, I hate the attitude that somebody would have, but they're just God's golden child because you're just as dirty as the rest of us. It's just by grace you are saved, as the man said earlier. And I've even got it in my notes. That went well. I like it. But. Moving forward. Shake the city is what Austin presented to me that you guys have, uh, God and Austin, and you guys have, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, taken this as a motto maybe or a challenge or something you're looking at for the church, something you want to do. Uh, you're in a new physical building. No doubt many of you have uh, been saved. I'm a crier. My nose runs the whole time. I'm sorry. But... Uh, Many of you, most of you, probably been saved longer than I have. I don't, I don't know. I've uh, been in the, the walk of Christ uh, for a long while. But um, nonetheless, here we find ourselves. This is real little. Satan, <laughs> Satan uh, hates me this morning. There's a plus button. I can make this bigger. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Slate all nothing there. We're not going to worry about it. Uh, I went to print this off this morning downstairs and I couldn't get my computer hooked up and all that stuff. But, uh, so I'm using Austin's iPad, which has no cover, so if I break this, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, you want to make an impact on your community, right? That's the goal shape the city. Like that should be each and every Christian's goal when they wake up in the morning. What can I do? to shape the city. What can I do to make a difference in somebody else's life? To me, when I hear that, it sounds like a movement. I wish Christians today would desire to see a flooding of the Holy Spirit Amen. to move in the city that they live in, Amen. to where it's just shaken by the gospel and by the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of the people. Man, I, I wish people desired that. And I know God. I, I know Him. I speak to Him. I read the words that He's penned down for us. That's His desire as well. So I think you're on the right track, Austin. I think you're headed in the right direction. So I hope you as a church desire that this morning as well. As I, I read statistics uh, of the church, of the state, of the people in the world today, I, I, I really think of the country, and this was brought home to me back uh, Wednesday when I went down to the Capitol. They have the Ten Commandments down at the very bottom of the Capitol building downstairs in what they call like a museum in uh, Georgia. 
and they have the Ten Commandments posted on the bottom, and it has notes and information about the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, everything that we have that this country was founded on, and it tells you how many scriptures for each of one of those was used to build that document. Absolutely blew me away. I never understood it. Well, we don't have time to go through all that here today. But this country was founded on the principles of one holy God, His love for His people, the freedom we have in Him, and to love one another and to be there for one. It was all through Him that this, the, the freedom of religion and we would be able to worship Him in spirit. And it was all there in the beginning, but this world has went so far away from it. And you know all you have to do is turn the news on and it's depressing. I don't encourage you to turn the news on unless you just like praying because you need to pray when you see it. <laughs> but it's, it's a mess out there. And Jesus wants us as His people to do something about that. He wants us to shake this city as He's talking about. I want to look at one man here today in the Scriptures uh, as an example of shaking a city. Uh, before I do, I want to think about something. And uh, this morning we had uh, baptisms, which was absent. No, it doesn't go to children's church or something like that. That blessed my heart. Uh, that's the coolest thing you ever do is baptize your kids. Amen. I got to do it twice. <laughs> that was rock and roll. So, Austin, awesome. <laughs> I'm so proud of you and your family and uh, anybody losing their family other than the Lord. But as a church, we get to see that. Uh, it's been good. Uh, but what we have isn't just for inside these walls. I want you guys, as we go through this today, I want you guys as individuals to make decisions. And I hear your praise and I hear your worship. But what I, I want to encourage and challenge and uh, maybe give a little thought process to it. You may already be doing it. I'm from Georgia, remember? But what I want to encourage you to do is to not let it just be in here. Because we can sing songs all day long to Jesus in here and tell him how good he is. But until our faith and our praise becomes footsteps out those doors to those out in the city, those out in the country, those out what we see on the daily, it does not, I mean, all it is, it's just, it's just a bunch of plain symbols. So today, I didn't, I'm a mean preacher, I think sometimes. Today I come trying not to be mean. I come trying to encourage and uh, build you guys up and get you fired up. So Greenville County, South Carolina, has a population of 541,348 people. Now let's count them. 541,000 people. I think we have 100,000 in Dalton, Georgia. We're little guys. So Whitfield County, 100,000. Greenville, 541,000. With an area of eight square miles, your church is seated in the city, if I say this right, Berea. Is that correct? Eight square miles. It's not a city, but that's about the size of Cahuta, I guess. <laughs> Y'all got more red lights. <laughs> so eight square miles we have here in Korea. In 2019, uh, the census taken, the, the latest one I, I, I could find, Maria is listed to have 14,652 citizens. I would say that's probably growing. But just this city, you said shake the city for the sake of this message. We're focusing on Berea, where this church is, a mission field. This is your Jerusalem, if you will. 14,652, if I remember that's correct. 
I'd be crazy to think all of you live in Maria, but for the sake of this sermon, as I said, that's what we're going to focus on. In Georgia, we have what is known as the 7 in 10 rule. I, I get with the Baptist Association a whole lot in Georgia, and they go over statistics. I, I love statistics. Uh, I love numbers and whatnot, but they have what's known as the 7 in 10 rule. Now, this 7 in 10 rule is based on 10 people. They go out, and they ask real questions, uh, similar to what you do with baptism. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you were to die today and go to heaven and Jesus was to stand at the gate, why would I let you in? They ask questions like that. And they get seven out of those ten don't know how to say how they get into heaven. They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't know him. Now there's other statistics you can look at. Even South Carolina, I looked into some of the stuff that uh, Barna Research and some of these others that had done a few research and stuff that uh, worked on South Carolina. And what they had was around 65% of people are proclaimed Christians. What they done is they asked, do you go to church once a week? They asked, do you read your Bible once or twice a week? They asked, do you believe there is a God? Uh, they asked, uh, well, there was another question they asked, but what they asked was about performance as far as things we do, like going to church, do you pray, stuff like that. It was never, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? So my idea with the questions they're asking is the answers they're getting are probably skewed, probably a little bit closer to that uh, 7 in 10 rule of 7 out of 10 people you come in contact with are lost. So for a visual, remember we're uh, 14,000 uh, 652 in Berea. Everybody get a number when they come in. Remember, 7 out of 10 are lost, so that means 3 out of those 10 are what? Saved. Knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you've got your piece of paper, if you have a number ending in 1, 4, or 8, I want you to stand up. 1, 4, or 8, stand up. Fist don't break your heart. <laughs> the other seven are sitting down. That means those one, four, eight that are standing, those three out of ten, I don't know your hearts, this is hypothetical, and by the odds, I hope and pray I'm wrong. Chances are I'm not by looking at this world today. The one standing at the trumpet blew when Jesus returned. Sending to heaven, those sitting will be left behind. Should we shake the city? Should we get excited about what's been you can see? For what's been done for us when we look around and see so many people don't know him. Now, hopefully, in a church, the numbers are different. I hope and pray you set up to the gospel every Sunday, every Wednesday, whatever it is that God has worked in your heart. But the reality is the numbers outside these walls are the same. Yes, we've got to get a passion. We've got to get this burning desire in our heart that it's not just us four and no more, that we want to reach the lost. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they've done in their past, no matter how dirty the ministry gets, we're going to go out to the highways and the byways, we're going to
going to shake the hedge bushes. We're going to open that tent up on the side of the city and ask if we can help them share the word of God with them. Do whatever we got to do to get them to Jesus. Amen. Because if we don't, the numbers won't change. Right. Well, I say they won't change. They're probably going to go the opposite direction. Right. Satan works harder than the church. Y'all didn't know that? He's good at what he does. This world is real good at getting these teenagers' attention, real good at getting these people's attention and drawing them away from what the Word of God calls us to be and calls us to do. So, for the sake of this message, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. And I, I, I know we have these intentions and we, we want to just... We'll sit here all day, and I've been guilty of it, and say I want to see something happen. But until we actually put our feet to actions, we know it's never going to get done. Anyways, that's right. I get away from my notes and I come back and I don't know where I'm at. I don't have my paper set here and my cry. <laughs> so I need y'all to understand that my guys have played games in church for a long time before I allowed God to work in my life. I speak, when I speak through this scripture, from what I consider the perspective of a failure. A waste of time. You will not find me judging you as I speak. If I say you, I mean we, because I'm involved. But because I, I have this burden for Christ, man, it causes me to just not be able to look, overlook scriptures like this and overlook these messages. But anyway, we've got seeds that need shaking. I took uh, the time and applied to these numbers to your city, uh, the 7 out of 10 rule, just to give you that. 14,652 people, real quick. In these eight square miles, if we applied that seven out of 10 rule, you would have 10,256 people out of those 14,652 that are lost. So the harvest, they people out there need you guys. There's people where we live in Georgia that need us. 10,256 people out of that 14,652 that need Christ. Uh, one man I think of other than Jesus Christ. Why didn't you use Jesus when you talked about shaking the city? We know he was a, uh, a city shaker, right? Jesus just flipped upside down everywhere he went uh, because we make excuses and say, I'm not Jesus. Uh, you're right, you're not. The person you're probably going to relate more to in the scriptures of God I'm talking about here today. And if I hurt your feelings for that, it is what it is. It's biblical. The person we're going to relate more to in the scriptures is the man named Paul. I relate to Paul before I met Christ a whole lot more than I related to Jesus. My life lined up more in line with who Paul was way before it started working its way toward Jesus. And that's probably the case for you too. Anyways, Galatians 2.20, we're going to get started here. I am crucified with Christ. This is Paul's motto. This is Paul's stamp of who he is, his proclamation of his life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that last line. And the life which I now live in the flesh, who I am right now, the breath that I have, the life that I live on earth today, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is our goal. 
you want to shake the city, this will be where you want to get to. You will not shake the city any other way. You will not do it under your own power. You'll make a fool of yourself and you'll make a fool of Christ. You probably won't be back to bigger than you. It's bigger than our state. But that's our goal. This is what we want to get to. This is Paul 20 plus years after his conversion saying my life is not my own. This is how I've lived it. What I do in the flesh, I do by faith and he who loved me and gave himself for me. This is uh, what we see as a king's key insight of what drives Paul. Why did Paul shake cities? Why did he risk everything? I've done a study a while back uh, in one of the classes I was taking on Paul's missionary journeys. And uh, I had no idea, uh, as just as a regular Christian coming to church on a regular basis, that Paul had what we know of as three missionary journeys. Did everybody in here know that? I told you I'm a dumb redhead. <laughs> I have no idea. So I took this class and it started outlining everywhere it went. It started talking about how he went from town to town and he planted churches and he raised up leaders and he, he ended up having to escape at times because they was trying to kill him and the Spirit of God would lead him somewhere else and then he would build a church there through the power of God and he would raise up leaders in that church and he would go to another town and somebody tried to kill him there and he ended up in shipwrecks. He ended up getting beaten. He ended up getting robbed. He get But even through all that, he shook every city he stepped into. Why? I think it's because he understood it's not his life anymore. I think when we get to that point that it's not my life I'm living, but it's his, I think we can get to that point in our lives that we can make a difference in every community we go into. Man, I looked at that like uh, most scholars agree with well, these uh, uh, missionary journeys, by the time it was all said and done, about 12,000 miles, give or take. And they think that about 10,000 of those miles was on foot. Now, he did take a couple boat rides. <laughs> but 10,000 miles on foot. They said that's like, I didn't put it in my notes, but I think they said New York to Los Angeles four times. 10,000 miles. I, I may be quoting that wrong, but it was something substantial like that. Four trips to, from the East Coast to the West Coast. It was stupid. Four of them on foot. We won't go to the gas station. It's funny, but it's pitiful. That we won't even turn around when we drive by somebody and God says you need to go talk to them. And we won't even turn around our air-conditioned truck and go back and pull back up beside them and say, man, I don't know why, but God just laid on my heart to stop and talk to you. I don't know what you're struggling with, but He wanted me to tell you that He loves you. And He don't care where you've been or what you've been through or what happened in your life. All He wants is for you to look to Him and trust Him. And He wants to move in your life and make it like something you can't even imagine right now. We won't do that. I don't know why. I, I don't know why I did in the past. I ever, it was, God ain't got time. Or what's He going to think about me? Who cares? What I don't want is I don't want to get to heaven and that guy be standing there being told to depart from me for I never knew you. And Him look at me and say, why didn't you tell me? You drove by me that day. I don't want that. Anyways, that was nowhere near my notes. <laughs> but Paul's driving force was the love that Christ gave him, caused him to make a difference everywhere he went. He understood who he was. 
in Christ. And uh, you're seeing her up here this morning. Bless my heart. He started talking about how uh, the past and the, the filth that we were and stuff that we're forgiven in Christ. But we've got to have that understanding of how dirty we were to begin with. How filthy we were. Yeah, we might be cleaned up now. We might have a jacket on and a shirt tucked in. And I wear shiny shoes sometimes. Most times I wear my boots. But I was coming over here to, to Greenville. So I wore my, my shiny slippers today. But we get all cleaned up on the outside. But it's the inside. And who we used to be that we ain't no more. That's that driving force that Paul had. And that's what God has done for me. And what God wants to do for you. Acts 9. We're going to get this, and I'm going to try to run through these. I've got three points, and we'll, we'll try to get you guys out of here. Y'all start church at 10 o'clock, and uh, y'all are probably in the buffet line before the Methodist, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> we, we start at uh, 11 after Sunday school, and uh, our pastor preaches for an hour and a half, so it's... <laughs> I got to give you a hard time with the buddy. But Acts 9, get your Bibles. We're going to read the first 18 verses. And yes, I have a hard time reading. It'll be out. Acts 9 1. And Saul, this is Paul, yet breathing out threatening to slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went under the high priest. We all know Paul was a bad man, right? So were we. Just so we get that clear. If you think you're not, um, you're confused. Um, you're unlearned, and um, the Spirit of God speaks against that. But anyways, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went up to the high priest and desired him letters. He got permission to Damascus. I want to go to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of the way, the way is the followers of Christ. It's the church of God. Those who follow Jesus and want to do his will, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there sounded round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, and thou persecutest. It is hard for me to kick against the bricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And men which journeyed with him stood speechless. I would too. Hearing the voice of the seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple of, at Damascus named Ananias. Praise God for those Ananiases. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayed. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. He knows, he's scared of him, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord saith unto him, said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, praise God, and kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and entered into the house, and put it on his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou comest, has sent me. 
that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes and there been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and baptized. Three things that I consider are steps of the process of shaking the city. That's where we're going to go today. Three things is the steps that I would consider. He's got some type of this guy back there in the back is a Mark Jones from Dalton, Georgia. Uh, bless his heart. You're the man back there, sir. You've got this sound and all this, and then the screams going up like this. Both of you guys, door. It takes uh, a miracle to make that happen up here, especially when I give you something. So I, I love what you guys do. It's awesome. I just want to say thank you. Uh, so, number one, Paul surrendered to the call. The things Paul did, the steps that it took in Paul's life to shake a city. The first thing he done was surrender to a call. It explains in the scripture how he was against Jesus. He was against the church. He caused those who believed in Christ to either blaspheme or to be arrested. Then there was a time when Paul saw the light. Y'all, there's got to be a time, and I, I'm, I'm speaking to the church, and I hear a bunch of amens in here tonight, and praise God for that. But as the singer said this morning, or maybe the, the young man praying up here, that there may be somebody here that don't know Jesus this morning. You cannot be a part of the movement of Shake the City without a surrender to the call first. When Jesus calls your name, he sung the song about it. But death to life, darkness to light. It changes you. He changes everything about you. We get our forgiveness. Paul, in these first set of scriptures, talks about that encounter that he had with Jesus Christ and how he fully, he says, Who art thou, Lord? He acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and who he is. And at this point in his life, and we'll see that he really meant it when he called him Lord by the actions that he does. You know, we're known by our fruit. So we see that Paul meant it, when it was a capital L in my Bible, he called him Lord. His life was changed at this point. We've got to have this change in our life to where we're not who we're used, we used to be. To where God come in and He forgave us, He cleansed us, and we praise God for all that. But what He does is He created a new heart in us. Amen. And made us into something that we, we had no idea that we could be. Some type of a being. I, man, I have no idea what God was going to do in my life. Man, I, I, I remember uh, old Michael that said, I'm going to talk to someone about me and who I was. I remember knowing about Jesus. I remember a time where I had that uh, salvation experience. I really did have a salvation experience in uh, August, or no, it was July. Uh, around July 4th of the year 2000 of the summer camp in Panama City. And uh, I accepted salvation. I knew that Jesus was calling my name. I knew that if I didn't accept him, that I was headed straight to hell. About two weeks later, I was right back in the same garbage that, uh, that I'd been in to begin with. And for 10 years, I wasted my life. I was 16. 26, all six foot three of me found myself flat back in a hospital room diagnosed with cancer in March of 2011. Jesus didn't shine a light on me physically for me to see a light, but I heard it and I saw it in my heart. 
that Jesus is putting the law on my kids away. And I was either in or I was out. And I've got work for you to do, and you're wasting my oxygen right now. I don't want you guys to go through the extreme that I had to go through to get woke up or to accept my call or to, I'm not saying call to preach, I'm saying just call to follow him. You don't need to go through that. But there's a purpose for each and every one of us in this world. And there's people out there that need us to follow Him. And if we don't, they're missing the boat, the 7 out of 10. Remember? So He said, you're either in or out. And on that day, March 23rd of 2011, I, I surrendered everything I had to Him, as Paul did in the Scripture. Now, let me tell you, it's, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. And it costs you a lot to do that. But it saved and it, I gained more than I lost. Yeah. I was an awful husband. I was an awful dad. I was an awful friend. But on this day, I knew Jesus was tired of my games. And I'm here to challenge you this morning that if you're playing games with Jesus Christ, it is 9,000 degrees up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can really say. But if you're playing games with Jesus Christ, the only word I have for you is don't. It's not worth it. If you're here and you live your life any way you want to, and you've got a family, or maybe you don't have a family, but if you just go out and do your thing, and you think coming into church on Sunday makes you uh, what you're supposed to be for Christ, you are, you are missing the greatest blessing you would ever have in your entire life. Your life in games, <coughs> my wife and I, we're on the, the brink of divorce. We live together. We've been married 19 years from August. It's coming August. It'll be 19 years. Praise God. I have no idea why she stayed with me through all the, that I put her through. 19 years. We were on the edge of divorce in March of 2011. We shared our bills with each other. My wife and I would fight just to fight. My kids saw me sweep her feet out from under her and put my elbow in her chest. My kids watched that. I'm talking, I, I was a piece of trash, is what I was. I was no good for nothing. And I don't even know why, in my opinion, God ought to ever revoke salvation, but he's just good enough, but he won't do that. He loves us. But he gave me another chance in March of 2011, just like he did Paul right here. And I saw the light. And I surrendered everything I had to him. Man, I, I don't know where you're at with that in your life right now, but I don't want you, if you're here and you're walking in that life of just misery and you're just going through the motions of every day and nothing seems to work out right, it's because you're playing games with God. If you come in here every single Sunday and you hear the teachings of God or on Wednesdays and you hear the direction God's got for your life and you don't follow those, you're going to end up in a mess. You're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. But when we surrender, we can get things done. God can change who you are and change your attitude, your perspective, and the life that you have. I don't have time to go on through it. We've got, we got to get going. But we got to get, get serious about this surrender thing. I think Jesus was serious about it. This is scripture that Jesus had to say. Look, 1433. It says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that hath forsaken not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Was Jesus serious about this following thing, about this surrender of what we have? He says, if, if you won't forsake everything you have to follow me, you cannot be my disciple. 
We've got to surrender everything we have before we're going to make a difference out here. You can come in here and lift your hands every single Sunday. You can come in here and you can uh, uh, sing songs and I love drums, man. Bang on them drums. You can do all this stuff every single week. But until you surrender everything you have to Jesus Christ, you will not make a difference. You've got to make it up in your mind. I, I want you guys to search your hearts today. Where are you at with Christ? Are you surrendered? Are you all in as Paul went to study? Paul, as we'll see going throughout, everything about his life changed. He had to leave everything. He left his wealth. He left his teacher. He left everything that he knew as a Pharisee with the Jews to follow Christ. And it cost him everything. To where he speaks of how he got beaten with a cat of nine tails. Where it speaks of him getting Rob, it speaks of him being shipwrecked. He actually even got snake bit one time. And uh, it's an awesome story. You need to go read it. They're toward the end of Acts. But he got snake bit. And everybody thought he was going to die. But he didn't because he had a purpose. No matter what comes your way, if you're in the perfect will of God, God can get you where you need to go to make that difference. Amen. But man, it, it, he gave up everything. We've got to get to that point to where we don't hold back our selfish ambitions and desires. Even as he called his disciples, what did he say? Matthew 16, verse 24. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. What's denying himself? Forgetting about Michael's wants. Forgetting about anything that I desire or any ambitions that I have. Forgetting about all the, the pleasures of the world that I might be interested in. But deny himself and take up his cross. What's a cross? This instrument of death, right? <laughs> it's what's used to kill a lot of Romans. Take up his cross. Take up that instrument of death and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Praise God. I found more life in following him than I ever found following Michael Gasseway's way. And Paul did too. At the end of Paul's life, you'll see him say, I, I kept the faith and I, I ran that race. I've done what God called me to do. And he talks about how, and for me, there's laid up a treasure in heaven. <laughs> it ain't nothing about what this world can give you and you can get from here, whether it be money or popularity or fame or whatever it is. It's all about what God has to give you. For what is it a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Praise God. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? A surrender is what Paul done. He came to the realization that everything he had been doing was wrong. And that Jesus was the Son of God. Have you come to that realization yet? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? These kids, these guys get up here and get baptized. So they know Jesus Christ lives in their hearts. Amen. That tickles my fancy. I love it. I love baptism, man. I love somebody that will stand up and say, Jesus made a difference in my life, and I want the whole world to know. Your mission here is to shake the city, but today I stand in front of you telling you that you cannot shake the city until you've been shaken. You will not. Until God has done a work in your life, saved you, and brought you out of that bondage that you was born into, you will not make a difference out there. So don't worry about that out there until you get it right here. He's got something special for you. I don't care who you are. I was born in South Whitfield to an alcoholic of a dad. 
We had holes in our roof. We had one car. We called it the scab. There's four of us. My daddy's six foot five. My brother and I, I'm the short one of the family. Other than my mom. And we would fit in that little scab of a car and go place. My daddy didn't come to my ball games. My mom would get out there with a carpal tunnel on disability and nobody's calling me. It, it was, it, man, it was, <laughs> I love my mom and daddy. Praise God for my mom and daddy. They'll pray for my daddy. Tomorrow he gets most of his liver cut out from his liver cancer. And I'm going to be with him. I'm praying for him. Amen. But it wasn't easy, and I didn't feel like I was worth anything. I'd see a preacher up on stage. I'd see a Sunday school teacher. I'd see somebody. I could never reach that level. I could never be like that. I'm not good for anything. How Jesus said otherwise. And I may not seem like I'm much to you guys, but to him, he thought us were dying for. And he thought the exact same thing for each and every one of you guys. salvation for all of us. So if the thought process of I'm not worthy is holding you back from crying out to Jesus, man, you you got to understand Romans 10, 13. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. That's what Paul done this day. He surrendered. He not acknowledged him as Lord. <laughs> he said, what will you have me to do? Moving on, Acts 9, 19 through 20. And when he received me, he was strengthened. After this surrender, he was strengthened. Then we saw certain days with the disciples, which were Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He surrendered, and after he surrendered, Paul started the race. Paul at this point understood. I told you all my nose runs. If you want to mute it, go ahead and mute it. If not, everybody going to hear it. Mute it. Raise the board for the mute button. Can <laughs> more of these? I'm a crier and a snotter. <laughs> but Paul at this point understood what grace was. He understood what God had done for him. Remember, we're working towards shaping the city. He surrendered, and we know the difference that Paul made, how he wrote uh, most of the New Testament. started, I, I don't even remember how many churches. It was in the double digits of churches and raised up leaders and preached the Word of God and, and whatnot, and the work that he'd done. But at this point, he understood how awful he was and how little he deserved and how the mercy of God changed his life. And if he could forgive Paul for going out and arresting Christians, hear this, if God can forgive Paul for going out and arresting Christians, for beating Christians, causing Christians to blaspheme against the name of God, he can do it in your life and mine. That's something that this is one of the most encouraging parts of the Bible for me because I look at Paul and when I think of like the worst of the worst, when I look through the scriptures and I think the worst of the worst, I think Paul. Because he killed Christians. He was standing there giving consent when Stephen was killed. He's a bad dude. If, if anything, you want to do anything to me to hurt me, you mess with my family. The worst thing you can do is messing with my family. I love guns. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> Mess with my family. I'll have to deal with Jesus on it. I know. I, I, I don't. I, I hope and pray he'd give me restraint that I'd be able to. But don't mess with my family. Paul messed with God's family. Paul lit him up. 
He had orders to go and tear cities down and bring people just bound to prison for just following Jesus Christ. That's a bad thing in my book. If God can do that in His life, what can He do in mine? Amen. I ain't killed nobody. Even if I have, so is Paul. So we're on the same page. I haven't, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't indirectly. I don't know. And, uh, there's no difference with us. We, we, we look at this and look at verse 15 again. It says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he has chosen the best of me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus had told Ananias how he was going to uh, show Paul what to do, and Paul was going to spread the good news. He started his race. It's no different from you and I. When we realize that love that he's got for us, and he makes that change in our life, and we are to get to work. Matthew 28, we know the scripture so well, verses 19 through 20. The first word is go. Is this a suggestion? No. I view it as a command. It don't say sit. It says go. It's a command. Jesus is leaving up at this place. And one of the, the last things he said, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptize them, praise God, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. I come in and went down to the office this morning to print something off, which we couldn't do, but they was getting ready to teach this morning the kids downstairs. I love it. I love seeing babies getting taught the Word of God. Man, that fires me up. To know that you can send your kids somewhere and they'll get the scriptures while you're getting paid. Anywho, go you therefore. That's an action word. To go, to teach, to baptize. It's not suggestive. It's not, it's not any if you want to. It's not if you find time to. It's saying do it. Paul was clear about this in Romans 10. This is what he has said about it. 13 through 15. And we, we, we hang our hats on for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? I do. I ain't not even, I'm a whosoever, praise God. Uh, there's some lady down at our church that was making church that says, I'm a whosoever. I am too. I'm one of those. I fall in that category. I called on the name of the Lord and I was saved. So we hang our hat on that, but we forget about verses 14 and 15 here. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Save the city. Austin, you and God and your leadership here say no here this morning. You're sending your people out. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings and good things. Now I want you to understand, it's not just the preacher's job to teach and preach. It's not just the Sunday school teachers. It's not just uh, the seniors up here. It's not just those who go to seminary school to teach and preach. It's not, it's not just, it's for everybody. Every single person that is born again. And the word preach here is, uh, I, I want to say it right, uh, it is pronounced uh, K-Russo. Uh, I love trying to, to say these Greek and Hebrew words. K-Russo. Uh, it makes me sound sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> that way. Uh, but the, the definition is what matters. To be a herald. To officiate as a herald. To publish. 
to proclaim openly something which has been done. All of us are called to be preachers. We're not all called to be pastors. We're not all called to be Sunday school teachers or singers or, or, or whatever it is that we do. We're all to proclaim the good news. We all have that story to tell, to herald, to proclaim to publish something which has been done. Man, if we've surrendered, we've got something to proclaim. We know the good news. Paul started his race. He just went out and started telling everybody. He didn't have a theological degree. Everything that he knew was twisted up and mangled up. All he knew was Jesus. <laughs> All he knew was grace and mercy. And Jesus shined that light on him and said, what you've been doing is wrong. I want you to go tell people I died on the cross for their sin. I love them. If they'll come to me, I'll give them eternal life. That's all I need. You don't have to have some doctorate degree to be able to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, man. What you see is a man that sold out to Jesus. He had compassion on the people. He wanted everyone to have an understanding about the love of God that he had. Man, we went to town proclaiming Jesus saved. Jesus is the Son of God. He taught about sin and repentance and salvation. He encouraged the hurting. He taught people how to live the way that Christ wanted them to live. Man, this is what He's done for me. This is where I was. This is where I am now. And then He wrote most of this New Testament that we have. If you surrender, you just got to start. Don't find yourself in a seat somewhere saying there's nothing I can do. You just got to go. Man, no matter where that is, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at the gas station that I said we wouldn't go to, no matter what we're doing, we just got to go. We got to tell people what He's done for us. We got to share. We got to start our race. If you don't start, you're never going to finish. And Paul, he even goes on to tell us that we're never going to finish. We just well, we will. One day we'll get that finish line up in heaven. But man, we've got to start. You don't have to know everything. You don't have. All you got to do is share your story. But I'm telling you what, some of you guys have stories of what I really did. If you was once headed to hell and now you're headed to heaven, you've got a story. That's right. <laughs> it ain't got to be something substantial in somebody else's mind or whatever. Your story is the perfect story for that person God's going to put in your path. Amen. I just believe in the sovereignty of God that He knows how to do that. Yeah. He's not going to put somebody in your path that you can't reach. Now, will they accept it? I don't know. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is obedience. Then, when you're there and they say, well, you told me, and I didn't listen. I'd much rather hear that than you didn't tell me anyway. i got to go on. I have got to go on. I've got so many there. I'm going to skip some of these. <laughs> I won't skip that one. If you're sitting on your hand, shame on you. I didn't put that down. <laughs> <laughs> There's 10,256 people that are heading to hell right now. We'll probably say the same thing. But the way cities ain't going to shake themselves. <coughs> this town's Paul uh, went into. He didn't, they didn't get shaken because Paul went in there and said, I got what Jesus has got for me, and I'm just going to sit here and hope somebody else comes and does the rest. It doesn't work that way. If it's shook, it's because somebody made a difference. When Paul surrendered, Paul started. Then Acts 9 31, we'll close up with this. Says so then he had the church. Church then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. This comes after he preached on. They wanted to run him out and all this and that stuff. At one point here, they had to lay him down. 
uh, in a basket on the side of the city to get away because they want to kill me. But then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee, or Galilee and Samaria and were edified, speaking of the churches, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You got your Bible right there. And you write in your Bible. If you don't, write in your way. We're multiplied. When Paul surrendered to God, he accepted Jesus Christ for who he is, allowed him to work in his life, forgive him of what he had been. He started the race. Paul saw the shake. The Bible tells us after he repented and surrendered, he started sharing with others everything that God had done for him. We ought not be able to keep our mouth shut about the goodness of God. Now it's easy in front of a bunch of other believers in a church house to sing praises and shout and dance and run. And we got a couple of runners at our church. What about the costume? That's what we call ourselves. I think anybody standing behind me, I'm sorry, you sing me slow. He saw the shake. I don't know your hearts today. I want to see a shake where I'm at. I want to see something. I want to see God move. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified and walking in fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. The church grew. The people grew. God was lifted up and magnified. He was given glory. The church was multiplied. Now I care about church numbers in the realm of things, but I care a whole lot more about kingdom numbers. Those that come to Christ, those who accept Him. And I promise you, I, I, I've told my youth group, and also standing there, I didn't care about the numbers on Wednesday night. Now, Michael, you're an idiot for not caring about numbers. I I will promise, the Bible said, let's words be words. But I submit to you, if you share the Word of God, people accept the Word of God, the Word of God is going to go out and it will not return void. And them numbers will take care of themselves. It'll happen. People will respond to the Word of God. It is that powerful. Now back to my surrender in 2011. I don't, don't want to go crazy, but my life was a wreck. The financial ruins, I told you, we were just roommates, my wife and I. I I'm surprised we made it. The work for the grace of God, I don't know. We would have just been another statistic of a failed marriage. When I surrendered, God changed my life. God began a work in me that turned me completely around. He saved my marriage. He healed my cancer. <laughs> Praise God. He, he restored my finances. Not all my wants, but He gave me every bit of needs. And I can tell you story after story after story of His faithfulness to me and my family and what He'd done for me because I surrendered to Him and I just started this journey. But I can tell you story after story of it being 29 days late and tomorrow it's going to go against my credit and my house payments due. And I don't have a clue how we're going to do it. And we open up a cabinet because somebody sent a letter and said, we sent you a check three months ago. Should we reissue it? Do you still have it? And a check be $400 more than what my house payment was. Faithfulness of God at the right time when I needed that money and showed up. I don't believe in coincidence as a child of God. I believe in provision from a holy father. Because He loves me. He gave Himself for me. He wants nothing but good for me. Not that bad things won't happen. But when they do come, those bad things do come. He's going to take those bad things and He's going to do His magic and He's going to work it out for the best it can ever be for Michael Gasaway. Because
because I surrendered to him and I started the journey. And I want others to have that joy and that peace. Then I, 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 got, in, I got into ministry. <laughs> Woo! Boy, let me tell you how this dumb little redneck from South Whitfield said, he said, God, whatever it is, I don't know. I know at 18 you said, Michael, I want you to do this. And Michael said, you're an idiot, God. Then I ran the other way. And God pulled the wall in 2011, as I said. And I said, I right, you got me, God. And I surrendered. And it wasn't a half-hearted surrender. It wasn't this fake, all right, just heal me, God. And I'm going to do whatever. And then right after me, just turn my back on him. No, it was real. Because I knew he meant business. He was tired of the dance. Three years. Started with three teenagers. Y'all got a whole lot better start than we had down at the Carl Hill Center right here. Three teenagers. I come in. I cook the food. <laughs> I set the chairs up. I got the TV up and I put YouTube on the stage. I rubbed the bus, picked up the kids, brought them, I fed them, I done the dishes, taught the lesson, put the chairs up, put the kids back on the bus, took the kids home, come back, done the dishes at my home. My wife worked afternoon shifts and it's been, she's a, a nurse practitioner now, she's already in back then, and her schedules, I mean, she was there every chance she could, but it was, Hey, I was going to make a difference. I wanted to shake a seat one by one. <laughs> oh, Lord, I wish I had a video of it. It's all up here. One by one, I started to see kids come in from my hood. People that I understood where they be and where they come from. <laughs> and I knew the power of God and that He could work and work in somebody's life. And I told them week after week after week, I went from three to five to ten. Guys, this beat down old house right here was in the pastoral house. The pastor moved out and we got it back in the day. But it was still in some little room. I said, y'all, we get to we get 30 kids, we're gonna knock this ball down. <laughs> we tore walls down. So Miss Taylor, Miss Lisa, they come in, they started cooking for us. Uh, I still run the bus, done whatever we had to do. Had somebody say, hey, I'll come Sunday. <laughs> we had a worship band starting to come together here. God was moving in hearts. Kids would get saved. They'd tell their friends at school about what God done for them last night. The next Wednesday, they'd bring two with them. I'd be driving the bus and they'd say, hey, my friend lives over here on this road. Can you pick them up on the way? I ain't got time, but let's do it. We go pick kids up. We, we went from, in about six or eight months, we went from three kids to over 70 kids. Part of those kids was also in Sandra. They started coming with my wife's sister to church with us because they come from a broken home and she worked with them at school through the ROTC, whatever program it was. They started coming to church. Sandra decided she wanted to follow Jesus. Austin, you can't be in my life if you going to follow Jesus. That's pretty much how it went down. Also started coming to church. Also get saved. How are you? And I'm not saved because of me. You heard me in the beginning. I'm saved because of Him. If we'll say I'll go, if we'll say I give you everything, if we'll say it does not matter about my life, my wants, my desires, I just want to be whatever you want me to be. God will take whoever you are and do wondrous things with it. I never imagined 
in 2011 that I would be on staff at church. <laughs> I'm the biggest piece of junk this world has ever seen in my eyes. I was worried, I was stressed, I have had stomach aches, wondering about coming up here and speaking in front of a bunch of people here in Greenville. I'm comfortable at my place. They know me, they know my heart. That's all I've got is a heart after God and after people. I don't have great words. I'm taking English composition right now with shorter dogs. Lord God have mercy. I'm telling you. And the other thing will be to understand and learn modern civilization from 1648. I don't give a rat's rear end about civilization. But they tell me that if I, if I want to get to learn more about the Bible, i got to take these classes. So here we go. I need to get this conversation, so I can tell you. I want to tell you a story. I use this, and I think Austin and Sanders heard it, but it's fitting here. I don't know your life. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've got. On your mind that God's got for you, and you may think that you're absolutely nothing, because that's where I was. But I got to watch a process a month life several years ago. I worked for him in a pawn shop, and right beside his pawn shop, he had a, uh, a building he loves for storing cars. He sent his brother Mark to Michigan one day with a $12,000 cashier's check and an address. <laughs> Put him on a plane. He flies up there and he buys, a, I think it's a 1964 Fastback Mustang. He, he, this is the middle of the night, I think two o'clock in the morning, plane landing, they met, and he was just driving back. He basically saw him saying that my uncle Mike wanted the Fastback, he wanted to remodel it and whatnot. So Mark gets in it, he starts driving back about 100 miles down the road, he just put up a cut there, just uh, dies on the side of the interstate. Calls the guy that he got it from. Oh, there's five gallon gas tank in the back. Don't worry about it. Just get that gas tank out and put something in and get you to the gas station. He knew the gauge didn't work. Didn't tell him. He let it break down, but he had gas in it. Mark brings the car on down one by one. The naysayers. It's too far gone. <laughs> that is a rust bucket. That's not worth you investing in. That's not worth you doing anything with. You need to just throw it away. Man, just scrap it. Just take the loss. You'll find something, something better to start with. You'll be farther on down the road. You'll be able to, to get where you want to go sooner. Mama Mike, he, he looked at it. He, nah, we're going to fix this thing. This thing, there's life in it still. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get life back into this thing. Day after day, I watched him go down to his building. I'd go down there and check on him when we didn't have customers and stuff. And I'd see him with a, a scraper. Scraping the rubber off the window sills. It's all dry and all and just a mess. I see him taking the glass out of the window. Watch him take the door off. It was it was messed up, mismatched, it belonged there. I watched him sand it down. I watched him day after day take bolts out of this car that were rusted up, and man, he'd have to beat them out sometimes. And you know, just stuff that didn't belong there, that rust, corrosion, and all that. I watched him drop the oil pan, take the engine out of it, just Begin a little at a time to start reworking individual parts of this car. I watched him ship it off to the painters. Man, that thing came back after he had the new floor pants put in that thing. 
They got that new door on them. <laughs> it went away taped off with just rust. Been shined off of it. It was just down for bare enough. It was just. He gets gets it back from the painters a few weeks later, and this thing <coughs> had some shine on it. <laughs> and that motor, <laughs> the heart of that car that was so decrepit and beat down was just no good. <laughs> Crank that thing down in there. Started bolting the pieces back together. There's a few weeks went by before I got to go down there and see it again. I did. I heard a rumble. I was in shock. And all of a sudden, up the hill, I saw I saw a shine. The sun just hit and this this sparkling paint on it and pulled in the shop. And it was my Uncle Mike driving a 1964 Mustang. Back to the factory, exactly the way it was when it rolled off the showroom floor. Spotless, shiny, just beautiful. When I looked at that car, I thought about my life. Boy, I was a rust bucket. When the world looked at me, they said, you ain't good for nothing. You'll never be good for anything. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be the husband you're supposed to be. You'll never be the dad you're supposed to be. God can't use you for any glory. God can't do anything with you. But day after day after day, I surrendered to God. <laughs> he started knocking that rust off. He started just adding a little thing here and there, taking the bolts off that were corroded up and replaced them with new ones and put new plugs in it. I got new heart, I can tell you that. It ain't the same as it used to be. He made a difference in my life. And when he did, I want everybody to have that new engine. I want everybody to have that heart. I want everybody to have that joy and that peace and that love and that hope and that, man, no matter what the world throws at me, I've got a Father in heaven that loves me. And I want to go out every single day. People at my church sometimes think I'm a, uh, what's the word? Maybe the fanatic's the word, but they probably think I'm crazy. I, was, I have a hard time driving on somebody on the side of the road. I just think if they're walking down the road, God's going to be talking to them. I don't know. I'm just, I'd rather just, maybe he did it, but I'd rather err on the side of caution. I'll pick you up and buy you a biscuit. If anybody walking home today, what? Well, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus loves you. I'm going to tell you, he's got a hope of an awesome future for you. I don't know where your heart is. There's several things that I've talked about here today. And y'all think this guy's crazy. If I'm embarrassed, it is what it is. I'm going back to Georgia today. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it's worth it. Whether it's by salvation or by call to do the will he's got for best decision I've ever made. You could not give me a better job. Nothing in this world would satisfy my heart and my need than what the call of Christ in my life has done for me. No amount of joy, there's no amount of money, there's no amount of anything I would give for what he's done for me. It's worth it to follow him. It's worth it to surrender to him. You got to start. 
once you have that call, you've got to start. You've got to go. You've got to say, today I'm not who I was yesterday. God's made a difference in me. And you have got to draw a line in the sand. You've got to make up your mind. I'm not going back. To starting today, I'm going to do my best to shine everybody in the world's heart up. I don't think that's... I'm going to do my best to make a difference in everybody I meet or see, whether it's in Berea or whether it's in Greenville. No matter, there's 700 towns around here. Wherever you are, I'm going to do my best to make a difference. I want to be like Paul. And I promise you, Michael Gatherer wants to be like Paul. I want to be like Jesus. That's what I want to be. I will one day. I'll be there with you. But Paul shook it up. Paul didn't care what the world said. He said, I'm going to make a difference. That's what I'm going to do. Come hell or high water, Michael Gatherer, where he's going to shake it. I want Satan to know my name. I want him, when I get up out of bed in the morning, to say, God, let me get up early this morning. <laughs> I want him to be mad at me. Does he throw fiery darts at Michael? Absolutely. You got the shield of faith. <laughs> you got the helmet of salvation. I got my feet shot. I got the belt of truth. I'm ready to rock and roll. Does he come after my family? Absolutely, he does. I'm just going to trust Him. The life that I live with Him now, I'm in darkness. Now I walk in the light. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. Ask my wife. I make mistakes. We all fall short. None of us going to be perfect. When I do, I'm going to fall down and apologize and I'm going to get back up and go again. Y'all doing good back here. I'm going to pray here in a second. I'm going to give you guys. I'm assuming y'all do. Y'all done a great job up here in Austin. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I, I don't care if you come or not because it's not the act of coming to know these things. The act of coming. The heart changes is what makes a difference. So whether you pray there, whether you pray here, whatever you do, you do. If you come up here, I like it when people come up front to the altar and pray because then you got family and friends that come and wrap their arms around if you've never been saved, step one. I want you to come up here and I want you to find also find one of the leaders that you know of and I want you to ask them and say, I want whatever it is Jesus has got because what I have been in my life is not working and I want to be made new. I want that transformation that Paul, the murder of Christians, had in my life. I want you to introduce me to Jesus. If that's you, that's number one. And if you're already there and your feet are not moving outside these doors, shame on you. Like I said, 10,256 people in Berea, if the numbers are correct. Probably higher. Ask God to put a burden on your heart for the lost. Beg I wouldn't quit begging until he was like, I got it, I got plenty. Beg him for a burden. He will rock your world. He'll provide everything you need to do. He's already gave y'all a good church. From what I see, you got an awesome worship team. you got some leadership established. Y'all you know, ready to roll. It's all I want to. If y'all want to shake the city, you will make an impact that Greenville talks about. Not just Berea. Did y'all know Berea's in the Bible? I didn't know that too this week. Oh, Y'all are holy ground. I'm going to pray. 
Y'all should be able to call it.